Well, hello there. This is Evangelist Timothy Gruber here at the Word of the King. Holiness Bibles for the Blind. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 verse 4 tells us that where the word of a king is, there is power. We may say unto him, What doest thou? I want to open up here to Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2. And again, we're talking today about pastoral rule, pastoral authority. Biblical or popish, and uh, used to say to you, uh, used to say the way it's practiced today, uh, you could say it's popish and it's Nicolaitan indeed. But Hebrews chapter twelve, verse two. You want to go ahead and read that, Ruth? Okay, go ahead and read it. Hebrews twelve two. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, consider authority, right? Authority, the, I guess you would say, the prefix of which is author, a U-T-H-O-R. Jesus, Hebrews 12, 2, is the author of the believer's faith, as well as finisher, but we're focusing on the author here, so he's the author of the believer's faith. Now, what is pastoral authority? Now, to have authority is to be the authority of something or someone. Ecclesiastes 8, verse 4 says, Where the word of a king is, there is power, who may say unto him, What doest thou? King James, he authorized, he had authority, he authorized the King James 1611 Bible. It's the authorized version, 1611. Now, it is pointless for a preacher to emphasize being a Berean in the context of Acts 1711, where pastoral rule authority is upheld and practiced as it is today as being of God. A lot of times one will say, go ahead, the preacher himself will say, go ahead, you should be a Berean. He'll say, he'll exhort someone to be a Berean in light of Acts 17.11, but really what he's saying is, go ahead, you should be a Berean as long as you see the scriptures the same way I do. Hence, if you give the slightest appearance of questioning what is said, you get what I have defined as the Nicolaitan evil eye. Pastoral authority rule hinders and destroys the believer's willingness and ability to judge righteous judgment. Um, look over at, uh, you know, okay, here, what is the believer's authority? Again, pastoral authority rule hinders and destroys the believer's willingness and ability to judge righteous judgment. What is the believer's authority? Now, you turn over to First Peter chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 9 and 10. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, says, You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, peculiar people. You should shoot forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness to his marvelous light. Should time pass for not a people, but are now the people of God? Should not... Excuse me. We should not obtain mercy, 
with now and Dave Morsi. <laughs> Never mind. You <laughs> go ahead and read Revelation one five six. One five six. Never mind why I'm laughing. That Ruth, go ahead and read Revelation one five six. And when Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the Prince of the Kings of the earth, unto Him that loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood, and made made us kings and priests unto God and His Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Oh, I love it. In the context of First Peter, two nine and ten, again. We read, You're a chosen generation of royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should shoot forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. And we just put there Revelation 1, 5, 6. So we, as believers, we're part of a royal priesthood, and we saw in Revelation 1, 5, 6 that we've been made priests and kings before God through Jesus Christ. Now, as priests and as kings, we've been given authority by the high priest, our high priest Jesus Christ, our King Jesus Christ, by way of his spirit, to rightly divide the word of truth Amen. by ourselves. And yet we know that, according to the scriptures, that the prophecy of scriptures of no private interpretation. Now, according to First John, First John, uh, chapter two, verses twenty-five through twenty-seven, I read: "This is the promise that He hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of Him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you." But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. So, we have the anointing, and we need not that any man teach us. So, there is that authority right there that we have as priests and kings unto God through Jesus Christ. Now, um, pastoral rule... Uh, does not give uh, Jesus Christ the preeminence. According to Colossians 1.18, he is to have preeminence in all things as the head of the church. Now, we know that uh, according to Roman Catholicism, the Pope is the head of the church. And so the Pope is, in essence, he has his pastoral rule. He has his pastoral authority over the sheep of Rome, we'll say, who ultimately goes before God. But, uh, the fact is, um, the Pharisees themselves had their own standard of pastoral rule, and lo and behold, like Rome, they were adding traditions of men, what we would know today as legalism. Now, Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Come on up with it. Now you're going there. You're, you're, you're hitting it with that Catholic Church. You're right. I forget who it was, but one individual one time tried to point me to Hebrews thirteen seventeen, surprise, surprise, to try to tell me that the Scriptures upheld and supported uh, pastoral rule. In fact, I'm sure this uh, 
Calvinist preacher up in uh, Grantville that the enemy used to seduce you with the Calvinist. I'm sure he did this too, though this was somebody else. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy, not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now, comparing Scripture with Scripture, uh, the author of Hebrews is writing under inspiration, and he's obviously referring to government, as Paul wrote of it, under inspiration in Romans 13, verses 1 through 5. He's not in any way, shape, or form proclaiming what men call today pastoral rule or authority. Now, First Peter 5, 1 through 3, talks about not being lords over God's heritage. And verse 5 says, Yea, and all of you be subject one to another. Now, pastoral rule authority does not encourage that. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Revelation 2, 5, 6, we read Revelation chapter 2. Actually, I'll just read verse 6. And then we'll go down to verse 15. We have two churches here being addressed. And uh, Jesus Christ, Lamb of God, has something to say to both of them, of course, through his Spirit. In verse 6, Revelation 2. But this thou hast, speaking to the church at Ephesus, but this thou hast, thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, I also hate, and you jump down to verse 15, so hast thou, speaking of the church at church of Pergamos, so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Verse 16, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Speaking of those who um, held the doctrine of Balaam, And interestingly enough, uh, past, uh, the doctrine of Balaam, of course, had to do with, if you recall, Balaam, he took wages of Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication, as it says. So right there, you see the connection between a Nicolaitan spirit and a lust for money, which, of course, hello, the Roman Catholic cult. And hello, Ohio, modern. Very Nicolaitan, lust for money. And hello, modern so, churches. Exactly. Thank you. You were a step ahead of me there. Not that you didn't know I was going there. And lay out a scene, church. I'm you guys on. You're doing great. Keep going. This is going to be a tag team when we're done. You watch it. I'm for you guys. But, uh, yeah. So you see that there. And Jude 8 through 11 speaks of Balaam. Jude 8 through 11. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers to follow the flesh, despise dominion, speak evil with dignities. Yet Michael the archangel will contend with the devil. He disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. What they know naturally is brute beast, and those things they corrupt themselves. Verse 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. So there it is. They ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. Second Peter chapter two. We read again of Balaam. Second Peter chapter two, verse three. We read, first of all, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now belong time lingereth not, and the damn late nation slumbereth not. Jump down to verse fourteen through sixteen. Having eyes full of adultery, and they cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, and heart they have exercised with covetous practices. 
cursed children which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Besor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumbass speaking with man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. And hello, and churches, the, with your tithe bucket. Then there's the fear of man factor that comes with pastoral rule and this matter of judgment. Yeah, this uh, one evangelist, you might actually be familiar with this guy, Kenny. Uh, Sam Gipp. Uh, not actually, but that name sounds familiar. Well, he's written some good books on the uh, Bible version issue, I admit. But this brother down in Texas that was on the phone with you, and we were going to try to uh, uh, put a link up to his website. Okay. He actually shows where Sam Gipp, uh, he actually said, and I, I, I may have even heard Sam Gipp say this when he came to this church one time, and I heard in this church locally that uh, he comes to, he comes to, and I don't think he's even due to come there again until 2019. But anyways, Sam Gipp said, keep in mind, First Timothy 2.5, for there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Sam Gipp said in so many words, the only man standing between you and you, your family, and hell is your pastor. Amen. Well, I wouldn't be admitting him on that, Kenny, because that's not true. The pastor's not a mediator between God and men. The pastor's not a... Well, I mean, there's a pastor all of a sudden a Roman Catholic priest. I'm surprised you amend him on that, Kenny. No, what I meant was oh. standing between you and hell. Meaning, because uh, that guy is the one that's keeping you from going to heaven. Oh, okay. I understand what you're saying there. Then. <laughs> that's what I meant. All that, right. Most preachers keeping people from going to heaven. Oh, okay, well, okay. I guess that was kind of a, I don't know what you want to call that there, because I know that's not what Sam Gibbon meant. No. No, I wasn't saying it because get letting people go to heaven. <laughs> okay, I was kind of hoping that was the case. <laughs> No. Anyways, all most, right, I get you now. Most preachers are sending, letting, pe uh, helping people, shoving them right into the pit. Unfortunately. Oh, uh, right. But Second uh, Timothy two, verse twenty-four but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, and meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the knowledge of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who were taken captive by him at his will. I know one of the things that I've noticed in my own experiences over the years is, um, it seems like even, even, a lot of, even the King James Bible pastors, a lot of them that I've come in contact with, though I will not say all, they seem to have. They seem to be into what you would define as convenient shepherding, where they teach men on their terms and their terms alone. They will not teach men on God's terms, and uh, that's not being apt to teach according to the scriptures. Apt to teach means you teach on God's terms, and, and as His Spirit leads men to uh, confide and. 
what they would esteem as your spirituality. You're supposed to prove yourself spiritual. And don't call me on Tuesday night or Tuesday because I'll be out playing golf. Oh, that was a pastor we used to know. Yeah. He's someplace in Georgia now. But, uh, yeah. Now, what a lot of this uh, pastoral rule and the way it hinders judgment with the fear of man factor, it's, like, um, I don't want to say this, um, the Bible talks about casting down wicked thoughts, you know, and imaginations, and uh, when, a pa- when people in a church where pastoral authority is held up, they're looking to the pastor as an authority, obviously, and when they look at him as an authority, and there's a Nicolaitan spirit at work, they obviously esteem his word concerning any matter above theirs. That's just the way it works, and then what ends up happening is, is the um, pastor himself ends up becoming, in essence, a little pope behind the pulpit. I put right here... In fact, this is probably how I'm going to put something and how I'm going to include this in the book. John Calvin, Protestant Pope, big on dominion, big on pastoral rule. Amen. Quench not the spirit. (laughs) First Thessalonians 5.19. Pastoral rule authority quenches the spirit of God, spirit of truth. Pastoral rule authority and apostasy falling away. Diotrephes, Third uh, John, nine ten. And needless to say, prime example of this would be that Dan Warner guy I told you about again earlier, and I told you about a long time ago. And don't get me wrong, this this Nelson Turner too, and quite frankly, every other Jack Booth Baptist I've ever dealt with. They all got they all got a case of diotrephes. But anyways, it is written here in John. Third John nine ten. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who ought to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Verse ten. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, praying against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doeth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Verse eleven says, Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. Beloved, follow not that which is evil. So if we're not going to follow that which is evil, we're not going to follow the Nicolaitan way. That's all there is to it. Pastoral rule, authority, is damnable. Lack of preaching, teaching on what I'm going to call the biblical, the biblical, biblical lordship of Christ. Okay? When I say biblical lordship of Christ, I want to emphasize biblical lordship of Christ because there is a false lordship of Christ concept that's taught out there, and, and, and I was reminded here recently that it's actually a product of Calvinism itself, where, you know, they talk about lordship salvation. Now, certainly one has one needs to acknowledge and understand that Jesus is Lord, that he is, that he is God in order to get saved, because only the Lord God can, can, can be a perfect sinless sacrifice for sin. 
to atone for sin, so one must indeed understand that. But, but lordship salvation is is actually promoted and actually proclaimed by most is a heresy in the sense that lordship salvation, what that implies in and of itself is, is that in order to be saved, one has to be submitted to, to the lordship of Christ. And when you when if you're going to preach it in that context. As this one individual said, then basically all it leads to is another form of sinless perf- perfectionism, because basically, if you're submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ 24-7, again, you're back to, you're back to, uh, basically, you're, you go back under the law. Lordship salvation is a lot of, is a lot of guys preach it, uh, actually putting in somebody back under the uh, demands of the law, the perfection of the law, which none of us can live up to. But uh, again, one must indeed acknowledge and understand that Jesus is Lord, that He is that He is God, in order to be truly saved. But now, the pastoral rule and authority it does it would rob Jesus Christ of of His authority. We'll say in the life of the believer, in that. It emphasizes submission to an earthly man over the Son of God Himself, and that is the damnable part of pastoral rule, pastoral authority. And here, too, um, here's here's also what it leads to: professing Christians in the pews, and of course we've both seen this: professing Christians in the pews only judging who and what the pastor tells them to judge. Walking with the mind of the pastor, not the mind of Christ, Antichrist, Popish, cultic. I made a special note here about this NC Turner and Faith Road Baptist Church with their covenant and their oath. And what that leads to ultimately is professing Christians who don't cast down every thought and every imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, because again, they're walking with the mind of the pastor, not the mind of Christ. Now, more on Christianity, and, or, or churchianity, excuse me, yeah, more on churchianity. Pastoral rule authority here. St. Matthew 18. And we're going to get into again here how uh, pastoral authority does not give Christ the preeminence. St. Matthew 18, verse 19 and 20. You can go ahead and read that, Ruth. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That's what my grandparents used to always say. Oh, I love it. Keep going, guys. And it's been well said, verse 20, though a lot of people forget about it. There's a good verse that shows Jesus is God. Okay. Now, of course, of course, how can we uh, mention this in this context and not talk about Hebrews 10, 25? Oh, of course. Everybody knows this one. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves to the gather as the manner of some is. Now, but of course, Tim, we know we're misquoting that. Forsake not the assembling yourselves in the church building. See, we got to quote that right, the way the it's church got, is believed. Scripture, the scripture in verse 20 of Matthew 18 clears that up. Yeah, well, you know, the church is, we got to remember, we're, we've been reading the wrong version. Well, as you know, though, too, if you don't go to the church building, you can't put money in the offering plate either. <laughs> Amen! But see, we believe in the King James, they believe in the church Bible. That's the new version of the Laodicean church. And what's ironic about that, 
what's ironic about that, you're really going to love this. No, you're going to hate it at the same time because of what they're doing, but you're going to love the way that you're love, you're going to love the way God will have me put this in the book, Lord one. The very same pastors that run back to Malachi and use those verses about robbing to tell you you're a robber because you don't put 10% in the offering plate. Oh, you're in reference to the famous Malachi 3.10. Will a man rob God? They're the same ones that are robbing Jesus Christ of his authority with their pastoral authority. Amen. Not to mention, they twist the verse because it's in contradiction to 1 Corinthians, I believe it's 1 or 2 Corinthians chapter 9, which says, uh, not of necessity. Don't make me preach on it. And by, and, by, and by the way, before you before we read anything else here, I just want to mention this as well. 1 Timothy 3.1, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. So many of these guys want to run off and they want to take that verse to justify becoming a pastor. And uh, they forget that David wanted to build the temple, but God said no. David's desire was good, but it wasn't God's will. So just because it's good that you desire the office of a bishop doesn't mean it's God's will for you to be one. And Hebrews 5, 1 through 6, Christ is our example. He glorified not himself, but he made it high priest. So therefore, one should not glorify himself, but he made a bishop. Amen. So, so you got a lot of guys taking the, taking the uh, office under themselves in a manner that they ought not as well. Um, St. Luke 19. 12 through 19. All right, 12, St. Luke 19, and he said, Therefore, certain noblemen went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. Verse 13, And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Verse 14, But the citizens hated him and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. Verse 13, And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him, to whom he had given the money. He might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. Verse 17, And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have thou authority over ten cities. Verse 18. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. Verse 19. And he said, Likewise, to him be thou also over five cities. But verse 17, And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. Authority over ten cities. Let me see that word authority. Now, Hebrews 4.12 tells us the word God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing even, pierce, dividing even the soul and spirit, piercing thunder. There, Hebrews 4.12. Amen. Now, 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 Jesus, uh, though I'm not going to, have us turn there. Verse Jesus, in the one context, you recall the Pharisees came to him and they asked him about what authority he did the things that he did, and then he posed a question to them concerning John the Baptist and what authority he did what he did. And the Pharisees had a little bit of a dispute amongst themselves and and uh, said, "Well, we don't know whether it was of heaven or, or not or of God." And then Jesus said, "Well, then neither tell I you, but what authority I do these things." So. 
his pastoral authority and ask us about what authority we judge spiritual matters based on the scriptures we should ask him by what authority he exercises his pastoral rule and if he can't tell us what the writs of God and if he can't give us a clear explanation from the scriptures how it's of God and just running to some verse about pastors about an office like Ephesians, that doesn't mean anything, because in that case, I guess there should be uh, evangelist authority. I guess there should be apostolic authority, which, there you go, charismatic. I guess there should be teacher authority. <laughs> I mean, so you, can't just, so you can't just run to the office and claim a pastoral authority based on the office. And then, if anything, as kings and priests, in the high priest, in the king of kings, we can tell him by what authority, but we don't have to. We're under no obligation, because ultimately, we answer to God. But hey, we got an answer for him. It's right there in James. Or excuse me, First John chapter two. Amen. We need not that any man teach us. And uh, if anything, he needs to examine himself to make sure he's not lording anything over God's flock. Word of God declares. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For if God declares that by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in God's sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The word of God declares, the first of the Ten Commandments. Who, what is your God this day, sinner? The word of God declares, First and greatest commandment, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, all thy mind, with all thy strength. You have failed. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Second commandment is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Have you always done unto others as you would do or have done unto you? No. You've not always done unto others as you would have them do unto you. Nor have you always loved the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Ye must be born again. For it is written, But God commendeth his love toward us. Well, thank God for the good news, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. For the wages of sin is death. Revelation 21.8 says, But the fearful, and the unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Ah, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Receive his gift by faith today, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. God manifest in the flesh, he rose from the dead. He's coming again, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Call upon the Lord today. This is Evangelist Timothy Griffith. Till next time, God bless you and yours.